morning, siblings. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am, and I ran to Eli and, ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again, a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what, is it, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what, he seems, what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, I greet you in the name of the all-loving, all-wise God, who was and is and is to come. And I first just want to say thank you to Pastor Ginger for such a generous introduction and for the music of this beautiful choir um, that has really stirred my soul 
The Spirit of God is indeed here in our midst. I am just delighted to be here in this community of sacred resistors on this day when we remember the life and incredible witness of Martin Luther King Jr. And at this time in the church year, when so many are focusing on turning points and on mystery and on divine encounter. I have always been intrigued by stories of everyday people who seem to brush up against the holy. As a teenager, I had a friend who shared an experience of awakening in the middle of the night and startling an angel who was perched nearby. Now, I don't know what she saw, but the idea that an angel was so gentle, so meek, that, that it be startled by a human gaze, I believed that. And I remember telling her that I too believed in angels, but that I was not prepared to see one. And for months after that, if I awoke in the middle of the night, I kept my eyes closed. <laughs> or I tried to warn any angelic being that might be nearby by waving my arms or clapping or even on occasion saying, I'm about to open my eyes in the hope that they take cover and move out of view. But of course, such encounters are not within our control. Divine encounters come on divine initiative, and they're usually only understood in hindsight. Our text for today is Samuel's story of divine encounter. Now, Samuel was the last person anyone expected to be the recipient of a divine revelation. And this is because he was an outsider, a servant, working for a spiritual insider, Eli. The revelation was supposed to come to Eli. Samuel was expected to be a spectator of God's mighty acts through another person, not a channel for those actions himself. But God lavishes attention on people in the shadows people who are just living their lives, minding their business, and then find themselves in a divine encounter. Our text, 1 Samuel 3, read so beautifully by Sister Yolanda, says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. 
So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time and he got up and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I told him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. This account in our text is an account of a mystical experience, a vision that cannot be fully expressed in language. In truth, it's a thin glimpse of the divine, sheer as a spider's web, but enough to lift that delicate veil between the invisible and the visible world. Now, in the ancient Near East, such experiences were often described as dreams, whether they took place while sleeping or awake. And that's the case here, even though the term dream doesn't show up in our text. And because in that culture, dreams were respected as vehicles through which deities sometimes spoke, they were tested by certain criteria. A setting in a sanctuary near a sacred object like the ark, at night. The dreamer is awakened by God, called by name three times. God approaches and stands by, is in some way visible and feels nearby. 
The dreamer receives a message about God's intended action and remembers the message upon waking. Now, the Bible scholars who outline these criteria note that the point is not to give us a formula. Divine encounters just vary too widely for that. And nor should the dreamer feel superior for having received the dream. Rather, the aim is to show us the spiritual importance of being open to God, of being sensitive, of listening. Samuel's name in Hebrew, Shemuel, even sounds like the Hebrew word Shema for hear. And one of the meanings of Samuel's name is roughly translated, I have asked of God, or God has heard. And this is because just two chapters ago, his mother Hannah was praying for a child, moving her lips in deep prayer, but making no sound. But God heard that prayer, even though it was fainter than a whisper. All these references to hearing and whispering, they shouldn't be interpreted too literally to refer to literal audibility. Hearing is a metaphor, an ancient way of describing an awakening of one's consciousness, a sharpening of one's perception. Or as the great spiritual writer Evelyn Underhill says, we humans are amphibious creatures able to crawl around in the visible world, but also able to swim in the realm of the spirit. And this means that we can hear, we can feel God whispering to us. When God whispers, God is very near. When God whispers, it's to strengthen a divine human relationship. It's a sign of intimacy and closeness. When God whispers, something very important is being said. God is getting someone's attention, nudging them, making them supple to a new idea or opportunity, giving them a heads up about something very important, something they can't understand without help. Now, God has a dramatic, extroverted side, and we hear a lot about that. Sometimes people are overwhelmed or seemingly shattered by hearing from God. At Sinai, for example, God thunders after the Ten Commandments, and people are so terrified that, according to one rabbinic tale, God had to dispatch a legion of angels to put a hand over everybody's heart to calm all the heart rates. But God does not thunder at little Samuel. The text suggests a faint voice, more of a whisper, a voice he has to strain to hear. In his youth, he thinks it's far away, but a whisper suggests closeness, intimacy. Samuel's story is about how a whisper equipped a young boy to confront a grown man. It's the story of how an outsider confronted the religious establishment. It's a story about the weak confronting the strong. And such is the power of the divine whisper.
Let me tell you another story about a divine encounter. This one took place at a turning point in American history when racial segregation and its interlocking apparatus to silence queer folks, women, people with disabilities, poor people, really began to crumble. The year was 1956. Martin Luther King was curved over a cup of coffee at a tiny kitchen table in Montgomery, Alabama. He just hung up the phone with someone who threatened to kill him. By this point, he'd received many such threats. But this one felt different. He worried about how his personal risks were being passed on to his wife and child sleeping in the other room. And he prayed with the urgency known only by the desperate. As he tells it, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I am afraid. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. What's striking here is that Martin Luther King got no promise of wealth or fame, no forecast of all that would happen in the next decade. And the hate speech and the threats, well, they continued. The very house he prayed in was bombed days later. And high moments like receiving the Nobel Prize and honorary degrees came alongside a shower of hate mail and threats. He had to draw on the power of that whisper again and again and again. And I don't know, but I believe that some 12 years later, on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, unable to speak as the life seeped out of his body, that Martin Luther King heard that whisper again. 
Now, King lived at a time of great cultural optimism in the United States. America's fruit was still ripening on the vine. But we have lived beyond him long enough to see that fruit fall to the ground and rot. We live at a time when the promise of equality in desegregated schools feels like a pipe dream. When a swirl of coalescing forces makes it harder to build affordable housing than expensive housing. When our tortured planet wails in every way she knows how and is still ignored. We live at a time when violence stalks not just soldiers, but civilians, in grocery stores, in classrooms, and on battlefields all across this globe. As the Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood or personalities, but with powers and principalities that numb us to the suffering of others. And day by day, we are systematically groomed to look into the faces of hungry children without wincing, to shrug off the elderly writhing in their beds and consider no war an emergency as long as it happens on another shore. I wish, I wish we could zap all of these problems with the adrenaline of a protest or with the adrenaline of our outrage. And protest has its place, a crucial place. But protest alone is not enough to make the dragon flinch. It will take moral imagination, the kind that, in Toni Morrison's words, sees a comfortable life resting on the shoulders of other people's misery as an abomination. We, we will need the supernatural power that comes from drawing on the songs and the stories and the prayers of saints, martyrs, and spiritual ancestors like Martin Luther King Jr. We will need the supernatural power of the divine whisper. Now, let me tell you another story of divine encounter, one that's still unfolding, about how the same God who whispered to Samuel in the temple and King in his kitchen appears to people today, not just to Jews or Christians, but to Buddhists, Muslims, Baha'is, people of all faiths, people of no faith, not just to men, but to people of all genders, not just to the young, but to the very old. You could be relaxed, curled up with a book and a grilled cheese, a cat purring nearby, and God will come, stand nearby, and whisper. You could be sitting at your office cubicle, puzzling through some impossible problem, or preparing yourself for a city council meeting you know will be contentious, and God will come, stand nearby, and whisper, 
You could be worrying in a doctor's office or clutching the armrest on a bumpy flight, and God will come, stand nearby, and whisper. Maybe you'll sense a hard word of truth that begs to be spoken by you at this time. Maybe you'll sense a very gentle word of comfort that assures you everything will be all right. What will happen if you listen to that voice? What will happen if you keep listening, though all the powers of hell rise up in revolt? Speak, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening.